Good morning. Great to be here with you today. It feels like it's been a minute since I've been on the stage. Uh, my name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here at High Point. Uh, if you've been coming the last few weeks here to High Point, you may or may not have actually seen me. I've been, uh, well, took a, took a breather, uh, which was nice over Thanksgiving, but also uh, was tending to some family situations in St. Louis. I thank you for, for praying uh, for me, church. Uh, some of you are privy to that. I'm going to explain a little bit of that even in the message here in just a minute. But uh, church, it's great to be here. This is High Point Church. And we are a, a young and growing church here in the Kennesaw area of Atlanta. We're thrilled to be here with you today. It's the holiday season, so let me officially say, Happy Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas, and I guess we'll go ahead and get Happy New Year in there uh, also. We'll just get them all out there and get it done with, right? Some of you are bitter already that Christmas music is playing. But you need to know, yeah, there's hands up. I, I see it. I see it. I felt it this morning. Uh, but you need to know that in my house, Christmas tree has been up and the Christmas music is playing. I got my new Amazon little Wi-Fi plug on Black Friday for $5. And with the flick of my phone, all the lights come on in the living room. It is glorious. <laughs> Guys, it is really great to be here with you. Uh, we, my wife and I uh, were in St. Louis, we were in Nashville, we were all over the place, and we really truly missed our church family while we were out. Uh, with that, we're, gonna beginning a, we're beginning a new series today, and it's called My Crazy Family Tree. Lord help us, Lord help us. Even as I was working on this, unbeknownst to me, there were things developing in my own family. And I thought, God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? How many of you know that family is crazy? Okay, it is crazy. Now, I don't mean, do not take offense when I say this. I am not talking about actual, you know, mental disturbance as if somehow, you know, your family is this. And if someone suffers from from, from things like that. That's not the, the, the manner in which we're using crazy for my crazy family tree. What, what I'm talking about is the, the other two definitions that you see when you look it up in the dictionary. Crazy means absurdity in 2019. Absurdly out of place or an unlikely position. That is definition number one. How many of you know you have family members that are just straight up absurd? They're just absurd. You don't even make sense. And some of you are that person in your family. You are the absurd one. In fact, you are at Thanksgiving and you literally think to yourself, I don't even fit in here. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? That I'm sitting here and feel so out of place. In fact, I found this interesting. According to a survey of 2,000 Americans, I, my app just crashed. Here we go. 2,000 Americans who are traveling to visit loved ones this holiday season, it takes approximately three hours and 54 minutes of socializing with extended kin for the average person to long for peace and quiet. Three hours and 54 minutes. This study was commissioned by Motel 6, so you know it has to be reliable. Okay? has to be. 
Of the same 2,000 people, 75% said they'd likely hit a breaking point where they needed to escape the larger group. 37% of the respondents admitted that they've crafted excuses to leave the house altogether. I need to go to the grocery store, right? No, you don't. The groceries have been bought a week ago. What are you doing? You know better. 25% shared that they've hidden in a relative's house. And best of all, 95% agreed that it wouldn't be the holidays if it weren't for hanging out with their family, their church family, their little flesh and blood family, family on their street, on their neighborhood street. This is what makes the holidays great. And, and I want you to hear this. We're starting a series called My Crazy Family Tree. This is not a message on the beauty of family. And it's only going to appeal to people to somehow love Hallmark Movie Channel. That's not what we're talking about here. I realize some of you are single here. Some of you are divorced here. Some of you are longing to be, to, to be married or to have children. This isn't where we somehow just tote out the beauty of being married and have children. And if you don't, man, life is really unfortunate for you. That is not the case. And you need to understand that God is working in your life his plans are just as much His plans for you and His purposes for you, whether you are single or whether you are married. Your life does not somehow start in Jesus the minute you get married or somehow have children. Even though family is a gift and it is a wonderful thing. The heart of this message is to begin peeling back the layers of Jesus' very own family. We're going to look at some of these surprising details of Jesus' genealogy. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 1. And as we do, I'll, I'll share, I didn't even share it. The other, the other definition of crazy is extreme. People use crazy a lot. As you're turning to Matthew chapter 1, it's the first book in the New Testament. I didn't realize it, that... that I use the word crazy as much as I do. Jen used the word crazy even in the transition moment when she described these crazy times, the craziness of the holidays. Well, what is it that we mean when we say crazy? We, we mean that it's extreme. It's intense. And some of you know what it's also like in your family. When we, when we describe crazy, things can be crazy bad or it can be crazy good. Some of you were praying for us as, as my family. We all drove to St. Louis this past week. That's a drive, if you didn't know, with four children in the car. But the reason we went there is because I had family members that were victims of a very brutal attack, my grandparents, and trying to help them get back on their feet and make some very difficult decisions. It was a hard trip. We, were still, we still celebrated Thanksgiving. God is still good. He is still wonderful, even in the midst of difficult times. It was emotional. But in the understanding the context of crazy, there would be times where we would leave a family member's house. I'd get in the car, and Amy and I, my wife, we would just drive in silence for a minute. And then the response would be something along the lines of, this is, this is crazy. As in, 
this really isn't very good. Some of you have people in your family and you have been so surprised, pleasantly surprised, blessed by the manner in which they've carried themselves through something difficult. Or their capacity to accomplish something. Or they demonstrated almost superhuman patience or strength or fortitude and you admire them. A brother or a sister, a mom or dad, even a friend. And in conversations either with them or on the side, you say things like, man, I can't believe you, you were able to do that. It's, it's, it's crazy. As in, it's crazy good. So we have craziness being absurd. We have craziness being extremely bad. And we have craziness being extremely good. My crazy family tree. Family's crazy. Not my family's crazy. My family's crazy, right? You got you to put a little something on it so you understand the context here. Everybody say crazy. My family's crazy, okay? That's family right there. And you know what? It can be hard, but your family's worth it. Family's worth it. Let's do this. In, in the book of Matthew, just to illustrate this, the verse will not be behind me. The first 16 verses uh, of the Bible, of the New Testament, of the book of Matthew. It's interesting to note that Jesus' own family is, is, is literally littered with things that you would not uh, expect Jesus' family to be comprised of. You've got liars, cheaters. Thieves, deceivers, adulterers, murderers. You got people who are doubting. People that are afraid. People that are running from God and yet God still manages to use them. This is Jesus' family tree. And instead of hiding it, it's literally the first 16 verses of the book of Matthew. It's not exactly your, your poster, you know, your poster moment for Jesus. Yet this is what is, is being illustrated, and that should give you and I hope that your past does not decide your future. It doesn't. Not only does your, not, your own personal past not determine your future, but your relatives, your family, the history of who you are. It does not determine what God can and will do through your life. In the same breath, Jesus' family is filled with people who have unbelievable faith, radical obedience, generosity to rival the generosity of the ages, faithfulness, grace and compassion and forgiveness incredible just demonstrations of trusting in God. This is Jesus' family tree. In fact, it probably looks a lot like your family tree. Literally filled with the ups and downs and the extreme this and the extreme that, and therefore we can say, family's a little bit crazy. 
Here's a question that I think many of us ask ourselves. God can use other people. We don't have a problem believing that, but can He use me? I know God can use the person sitting next to me, but can He use me? Maybe a better way to say it is, God will work through other people's situations, but will He work through mine? Turn in the book of Matthew, if you're not already there, to chapter 1, and we're going to unpack Joseph, Jesus' father. He doesn't get a whole lot of shout-outs in the Bible. He really doesn't get much mention. And yet, God chose Joseph to somehow be the father to Jesus and Joseph demonstrates some qualities on the extreme side, the kind of qualities that are extremely incredible, things that we would aspire to. And the reason we're going to take a look at this is because many of us long for God to use us, yet we don't put ourselves in positions to, to really get prepared for God to use us. So if we will look at some of the conditions that Joseph lived out or Mary lived out or Zechariah looked at or lived out or Elizabeth, maybe you and I can gleam from some of the qualities and characteristics of the people that he used in world-changing ways. Ways that change neighborhoods and workplaces and cities and governments. If you can see patterns of, of things and people that God uses, maybe we can begin to work on our own hearts and prepare ourselves for God to use us. More often than not, though, Christians, myself included, we love to talk about God using us, and we do nothing to get prepared for God to use us. I'm going to say that again. We love for God to use us. We want God to use us, but we rarely prepare ourselves to be used. It's like the person who wants a new car. I need a new car and I'm praying for a new car. But yet you're not doing anything to position yourself or prepare yourself to be able to buy a new car. You're just pipe dreaming it. It's the person who wants that new job and you're praying for a new job and you're praying for a new job. Yet you're not updating your resume. You're not making any phone calls. You're not preparing yourself literally to be able to get a new job. People that want to be married, people that want to be in relationships and yet sit exactly as they are and they wait for God, the little fairy dust provider, to just sprinkle fairy dust over their situation and make things change. What if we got off of our figurative chairs? You thought I was going to say something else. Oh, my. <laughs> what if we got off our chairs and actually began to work in such a way for the glory of Jesus? And we asked God to work in our hearts. We asked him, we invited him in, and we said, God, change me. Prepare me to be used in 2020 to see your kingdom come, to see your kingdom advanced. This is what the Bible has to say about Joseph. And if, you're, if you wonder why I'm squinting, it's because my iPad is dying a thousand deaths up here and I'm reading it from my phone. 
uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And I quote, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Our crazy family tree begins with Joseph. And on the surface, it seems like a simple story. Yet this is the man that God shows to be Jesus' earthly father. You need to understand that that has massive significance. Why does God choose this man? Now, we don't know all the details. I wish I could tell you what Joseph's prayer life looked like or, or his demeanor or his attitude or how he worshiped. I don't know those things, but I know a few things about this man just from the, little, the few verses that we are, are reading this morning. And if you want to be a part of what God is doing, just like Joseph was a part of what God was doing, you need to grow in a couple of these areas that we see Joseph walking in. Even as I'm driving around from St. Louis to, to Nashville to, to, to Atlanta to Kennesaw, and preparing for this message, I feel my own heart and soul being convicted by what God is, is doing or asking of me. I don't get a free pass and neither do you. We all get to grow. You don't have to grow, but you sure get to grow. There's a word, two words. I thought I invented it, but I didn't. I Googled it. Apparently it's commonly used. And it's this word conviction. I, I didn't invent the word conviction. I realize that. But I thought to myself, you know what's, what's, what we see Joseph walking in here? A quality that I think God loves to see his people demonstrate. It's not just com conviction in a, in a singular fashion. It's compassionate conviction. And in 2019, heading into 2020, I believe one of the qualities that God is looking for in his people is something that Christians for a while, at least in the West, we've struggled to, to walk in. And it's this idea, not just of conviction and not just of compassion, but the two married together in compassionate conviction. Conviction is this sense that you know what is right and wrong and you, you hold firmly to this belief. 
and you're going to do something about it or, or you're going to hold the line. You have a conviction about it. Some of you have a conviction that Frozen 2 is a terrible movie and you just won't go see it. Some of you, I've seen your posts. You think it's the greatest thing to ever hit the cinemas. I watch you. I see. Obviously, I'm joking, but you get the idea. Conviction is this thing that resonates deeply inside of us. But what happens oftentimes as we experience conviction is that that conviction becomes this thing that we hold over everyone else who doesn't feel the same way that we do about something. And so we push it, oftentimes cram it, sometimes beat somebody over the head with it, this conviction about what is right and what is true. Let me help you out. What is true is true and that is not changing. There is no, there, this idea of your personal truth is nonsense. There is no such thing as you having your own personal truth. That is thrown around every day, every week, and has been for the past several years, this idea of your own truth. You do not have your own truth. There is one truth, and his name is Jesus. He is a truth, and he is a person to be known. But understand that because Jesus Christ is someone to know, some people are in the process of getting to know him. And sometimes in our convictions about what is right and wrong, we can absolutely kick the doors in on someone who is simply trying to grow or they're, they're in their infant stages and we don't walk in much compassion. We have no capacity to, to understand that someone might be in a different place than you. They might be wrestling with something other than what you're wrestling with. They might have a history that would change the way that you're talking to them. It would change the way that you look at them. It doesn't change what is true. But compassion allows you to love someone and to love someone fully and wholly, even when what they're doing or how they're living or what they're saying doesn't line up with what you know or believe to be true. Young people tend, when we talk about compassionate conviction, young people tend to err on the side of compassion and having little conviction. And so feelings are elevated above every single thing in your life. Older people tend to err on the side of conviction and have little compassion. And you can see how these two, these two uh, things work against each other if you're not careful. One group of people embodies compassion and refuses to walk across the aisle to have a conversation with the other. And the other embodies conviction, that which is right and true. And comes across like the crotchety old person who's mad because someone walked on their lawn. true. This is how we trend. 
But what if we didn't just walk in conviction? And what if you didn't just walk in compassion, but you walked in the grace of God with compassionate conviction? I went Black Friday shopping. Guilty. By the time we got to Nashville, we finally had uh, Amy's side of the family was there and our father-in-law doesn't like to shop or do anything like that. So he wrangled all the kids, not just my kids, Amy's sister's kids. There was like a 4,000 children at this house. And we were like, sweet, we're out of here. <laughs> got in the car and away we went. And if you've ever opted for one of the Black Friday deals with a phone carrier, you know, they give you the gift cards and, and you know, they give you incentives for trying to sign up and add a new phone to a line or turn one in, blah, blah, blah. Well, this past year was an utter disaster for Verizon and AT&T. You may or may not know, but people were waiting in lines three and four hours to try to get a new phone. Some waited even longer. We were some of those lucky people at Walmart, and when I say the line was getting contentious and people were getting angry, that is an understatement. People were getting downright furious, and they had a conviction, understood, they, they, they knew in their heart of hearts that this is not the way that a customer should be treated. This is not the way customer service should be run. This is not how you run an advertising campaign and then, you, and then you don't deliver. They were right. They were absolutely right that the manner in which they were sold a product and treated and, and, then, and then sat in line for four, five, sometimes six hours was insane. Somebody needed to hear that. This was ridiculous. Unfortunately, the person that was hearing it was the young guy running this register on the phone with AT&T Corporate, on the phone with Verizon, and he's just getting obliterated. And what people didn't see is this guy, started, he's a young guy. He was so overwhelmed, he started getting emotional behind his counter. I could see him wiping the tears away behind his glasses because the line just kept getting longer and there was utterly nothing he could do about it. He's on a phone queue and the voice that says, you are the 1200th caller, and I'm not exaggerating. You are caller number 1200. Your approximate wait time will be 19 days. I'm exaggerating that. You can see why people were getting mad. And yet if anybody had taken the time in, their, in, in, in the firmly held belief, the conviction that this is not good, that this is not right, but if somebody had taken the time to literally just say, hey, what can I do for you? Can I get you some lunch? How, what, what do you need right now? Which is what we ended up doing. And when you hear about a guy that just got put in, who's been there about a month, who's got a girlfriend that he lives with, barely making ends meet, 
He's worried about losing his job because people are so mad and they're walking away. And he's super stressed out. You know what that does for you when you take the time to ask questions and you take the time to pause and value people as image bearers of God Almighty? It forces you, yes, to hold on to your convictions, but to walk those convictions out with great compassion on the people around you. I'm using a lightweight example of just how you interact with a business what about things that really matter, deeply held truths, things about sexuality or things about uh, government or politicians or elections that are coming up? Is there truth? You better believe it. Is there right and wrong? Yes, without a doubt. But if you are going to represent Jesus to this world... It would make sense for you and I to learn how to walk in those convictions and yet also compassionately love all the people around us, especially those who do not look and think and talk like you. I love what Joseph did because he could have had Mary literally killed for what happened. Understand this, at this time, Joseph and Mary are, are they're in a marriage, they're, they're, uh, they're engaged. At this time in history, an engagement was a legal binding contract. And for a woman to be unfaithful to her husband was literally punishable by death, by stoning. Now that would have been rare for him to go that route, but at the minimum he could have shamed her. It could have become public knowledge. It could have become the scandal of the day. And yet instead of publicly disgracing her, what does the Bible say? It says that Joseph was faithful to the law. What was he? He was a man of conviction. He was faithful to that which was true. The Bible, the scriptures, he did not deviate. Yet in that conviction, he did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace. And he had in mind to divorce her quietly. There's so many things I could talk about just in this one sentence. But we don't acknowledge the fact that Joseph would have felt so betrayed. Do you understand that? The woman that Joseph loves, he believes, has gotten pregnant with another man's child. She cheated on him. I don't care who you are. You're not going to believe your girlfriend or your fiancé or your wife when she says, oh, the God did it. God did it? What? You, you wouldn't believe that? That'd be the worst story ever to tell somebody, especially a man. Like, I, I, he's not going to buy that, and consequently, he doesn't. But rather than embarrassing her beyond where she needs to be embarrassed or disgracing her, he chooses to walk in compassion. He's faithful to the law. And yet the manner in which he lives it out is so compassionate and kind. I believe God saw these qualities in Joseph. I believe he saw the kind of father that Jesus, an earthly father that Jesus needed. These are just some of the things 
But that inspires me. It's compelling to me. It's difficult for me. If you know me, I, I, I'm the kind of person who I can be passionate. And I have deeply held strong beliefs. And at times, at times, can steamroll someone with those beliefs. Many of you are the same way. And yet, compassionate conviction determines how I treat other people. The other thing that we see Joseph doing is walking in courageous obedience. I'm going to give you a couple tips, by the way, on how to walk in these over Christmas and in the holidays. But courageous obedience. Joseph is visited by an angel because he doesn't believe his wife. He needs a visitation from God to move the needle in his heart and in his life. And that's exactly what happens. Joseph gets a visitation from an angel and then has to decide what to do with it. And I love the obedience that, that, that Joseph demonstrates, but it's not just obedience. This, is, this takes a lot of courage. To take this woman at her word that God has put the Messiah inside of her and that the two of you are going to father Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Give him the name Jesus. This is what you're going to do. This requires tremendous courage. The kind of courage that none of us are required to walk in, might I add. No one will be tasked with what Mary and Joseph were tasked with ever again. They are the only two. Yet Joseph responds, and he responds accordingly with great obedience. And I am reminded, even heading into this new year, that the kind of life that I want to live before my God before the Father in heaven and earth, is I want to be the kind of son in his kingdom that responds to the conviction that he gives me, and I respond accordingly in faith. I respond with obedience, and I respond with courage. Some of you have become content with things in your life that you know God has put his finger on, and he's asking you to do something about it. Yet rather, respond, rather than respond with courage and obedience, you continue to let it just sit there. You've become comfortable with it. But Joseph reminds us that when God knocks on the door of our hearts to get up and do something about it. To respond in faith. To stop messing around with things that God's asked us to leave behind. To pick up the things that God has asked us to pick up. To begin running after Him. To run after His plans and His purposes for your own life. That can be issues of sin. Obeying Jesus means letting go of sinful patterns in your life. And laying them at the foot of the cross. And if you've been holding on to stuff because it's just not that big a deal, it's time to respond with courageous obedience. But there are also other things that you know God is asking you to do, to get prepared for. 
Some of you need to start giving. Or you need to start giving more. And it requires courage. It requires courageous obedience to sacrifice on a deeper level. Some of you have someone in the community that you know you're supposed to share the gospel with or you're supposed to get on your knees and begin praying for or it's going to be an awkward conversation, but you know you need to have it. What does that require? It requires courageous obedience. But God uses people who are willing to say yes. If we continue to say no and shut the door, why is it any surprise to us that God doesn't use us in more powerful ways? Why is that a surprise? It shouldn't be. See, we serve... We serve a God who allows us to see the craziness of, of family literally in the first 30 some odd verses of the first book of the New Testament. You see some crazy bad. We sure see some crazy good. And as I'm following Jesus and as you're following Jesus, you know what I want to be known for? I want to be that person who's crazy enough to believe God and to trust Him. I want to be crazy enough to say yes. I want to be crazy enough to obey. I want to be crazy enough to show compassion again and again and again and again. I want to be crazy enough to have convictions and to hold to them to hang on to what I know is true and to trust God in the process. I want to be crazy enough for God to use me. I love what the Bible says. Paul writes in Corinthians. Stand to your feet, church, even as we begin to close this morning. I want to read this over you this morning, almost like a declaration. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the crazy things. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. We serve a God who uses people who are crazy enough to believe him, 
crazy enough to trust him, crazy enough to say, God, use me, crazy enough to say yes, crazy enough to lay it down and to repent and turn from their sins, crazy enough to pick up God's purposes for their life and run after him with everything they've got. God uses people like that. He'll use you and he'll use me. He uses the foolish things, the crazy things. See, we're all part of a crazy family tree. And I'm just crazy enough to believe this Christmas and this coming year that God might want to do something extraordinary in your life. Let's be crazy together. Let's ask Him to do what only He Father, we thank you, Lord, that we see a picture not of perfection in the Bible, of everyone's family, or only the people that you use somehow uh, just shining like pieces of gold, Lord, or diamonds. Lord, no, you use people who are going through difficult stuff. God, people who don't always get it right. People that struggle, people that doubt, people that mess up. We also see people getting it right, Lord. All of this picture, Lord, what we see, the common denominators, God, whether the, the picture looks good or whether the, person, the, the, the picture looks difficult, God, we see people trusting you and choosing to follow you. We see people asking God for you to do great things in their life. We see people having radical obedience, courageous obedience, compassionate conviction, Lord, and you using them in extraordinary ways to see your kingdom come. God, would you use us? Would you use me? Use us, Lord. God, breathe fresh wind into our sails, even now. Fresh faith into our hearts this morning. Help us to trust you again. Some of you are sitting here this morning, you're standing here this morning, and you're hearing the words coming out of my mouth, but you've gone through so many difficult times, one after the other. It's hard to trust again. It's hard to ask God to move again. I believe the Holy Spirit's knocking on the door of your heart right now saying, let's do this one more time. Trust me again. Trust me again. Ask me again. Prepare your hearts, church. Grow in compassion this year. Grow in compassion. Love like Jesus loves. Grow in conviction. Read the scriptures. Know what's true begin to live it out by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't be afraid to courageously obey Him every step of the way. And see what God can do. Lord, we thank you that you're the God of the impossible. Would you move? Would you move in us and through us this year? crazy enough to believe.